Welcome, my friends. Welcome to this inaugural edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you from the sunny climes of western Japan on this first day of June 2007. Let me take this opportunity to welcome you to the Corbett Report. This is the first episode of the Corbett Report entitled Investigate 9-11, and today we're going to be getting into the reasons to reopen the investigation into the events of September 11th. But as it is the first episode, let me just go through a few things about the podcast and my website, CorbettReport.com. The Corbett Report is based on the principle of open-source intelligence news gathering. Open-source intelligence is an increasingly relied-upon tool in the intelligence community to gather information from open sources. Open sources is anything that's available to the public freely, from books or newspapers to information on the internet to media interviews to government white papers. Indeed, a Washington Times article from 2006 confirms that the CIA is using open source intelligence to gather information about the public from the blogosphere. And the great thing about open source intelligence is that it cuts both ways. Its open nature ensures that not only can intelligence agencies use it to gather information about the public, but the public can use open sources to gather information about intelligence agencies. In the spirit of open source intelligence news gathering, each fact that I state in each of my episodes will be backed up with a link to the original documentation source. You can find it on my website, CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com, all one word. On CorbettReport.com, click on the Episodes tab, and you'll find a link to the latest episode as well as back episodes of the podcast. Under each episode, you will also see a link for documentation, and when you click on that link, it will bring up a list of document sources. This list is organized by time index, so whenever you hear a fact that you find particularly striking, please note the time index on your player and go to the website to check out that particular document. All right, enough introduction. Let's get into today's inaugural episode of the Corbett Report entitled Investigate 9-11. 9-11 is the foundational event of the age in which we are living leads, needs little elaboration. The so-called leaders of the free world are content to parade in front of us every day, reiterating their mantra of war on terror, war on terror, war on terror, as if their mantra might make it so. But what if the war on terror was not what they led us to believe? What if there were still unanswered questions about September 11th? That's why we need to start an independent citizen's investigation into the events of 9-11, empowered by the internet and open source intelligence. Let's start by discussing the 9-11 Commission Report, which presents the official conspiracy theory of 9-11 as we know it today, namely that 19 men with box cutters directed by a man in a dialysis in a cave on the other side of the world committed four simultaneous hijackings in the most heavenly defended airspace in the world, flying their jets wildly off course for up to an hour and a half before hitting the most heavily defended building in the world, the Pentagon, as well as, of course, hitting the World Trade Center 1 and 2, and the impacts of the planes, combined with the fires uh, caused by the jet fuel, caused the collapse of World Trade Center 1 and 2. Of course, all of this is bunkum, but again, please don't take my word for it. Please take the word of people who know what they're talking about. For example, in an open letter to the U.S. Congress dated September 13, 2004, and signed by 25 intelligence and government officials, including Edward Costello, a former special agent with counterintelligence at the FBI, 
John Cole, a veteran intelligence operations specialist with the FBI, David Conrad, a retired agent in charge in, with Internal Affairs, U.S. Customs, Rosemary Dew, a former supervisory special agent with counterterrorism and counterintelligence at the FBI, and 21 others, wrote, quote, Omission is one of the major flaws in the Commission's report. We are aware of significant issues and cases that were duly reported on to the Commission by those of us with direct knowledge but somehow escaped attention, end quote. Or Sybil Edmonds, the FBI translator, who in an open letter to the chairman of the Commission, Thomas Keene, in 2004, wrote, quote, I find your report seriously flawed in its failure to address serious intelligence issues that I'm aware of, which have been confirmed, and which as a witness to the Commission I made you aware of. Or you have a report from the Washington Post, July 26, 2004, entitled Failures of the September 11th Commission, in which they interview Ray McGovern, a 27-year CIA veteran, who says, quote, The whole name of the game is to exculpate anyone in the establishment. Mistakes were made, but no one is to blame. Why is it that after all this evidence and months and months of testimony, the Commission found itself unable even to say if the attacks could have been prevented? End quote. So we have serious people seriously questioning the 9-11 Commission, which is purported to explain the events of September 11th to the public. But flawed as the Commission turned out to be, it was a fight to even get the Commission established. Despite the largest structural collapse in history, the largest loss of life on American soil in an attack by a foreign agent since Pearl Harbor, there was no independent investigation into the attacks for 18 months. In fact, even the House and Senate Intelligence Committee, which itself was not transparent because of security clearance, uh, was uh, it was a fight to get that established. CNN reported in January 2002 that Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle said Bush wanted to limit inquiry because an independent commission would take resources and personnel away from the war on terror, a line that was puppeted by many of the administration officials, including Dick Cheney. Eventually, growing political pressure in a campaign by the 9-11 families caused him to buckle, and Mr. Bush decided it would be a good idea, after all, to appoint a commission to study the attacks. Eventually, he decided to appoint Henry Kissinger to head the commission, a choice that even mainstream media hacks derided as an undefensible decision. Of course, Mr. Kissinger had deep ties to the administration itself, which has come out in recent reports suggesting that he visits uh, Bush himself once a week to brief him about what's go really going on in the world. But, of course, Mr. Kissinger had other conflicts of interest which seriously undermined his role as the head of the commission. At this point, I'd like to play a clip from an excellent documentary called 911 Press for Truth, which is a documentary detailing the efforts of four, four women from New Jersey, known as the Jersey Girls, who lost their husbands in the 9-11 attacks and fought for months and months to even get an independent commission established. Uh, it's an excellent documentary available for free on Google Video, um, so I recommend that you check that out. But we're going to play a, cl a clip detailing a little bit about Mr. Kissinger's involvement, brief involvement with the 9-11 commission and why he was dropped as the head of the commission. Let's listen to the clip from 9-11 Press for Truth. President Bush signed legislation today creating an independent commission to investigate the September 11th attack on America. 
The president named a supporter, Dr. Henry Kissinger, Secretary of State in the Nixon and Ford administrations, to head the panel. He has a penchant for secrecy, which is not what's needed here. There are questions about his role in Vietnam, his role in the coup in uh, Chile. Several family members approached Kissinger and requested a meeting at his office in New York. Prior to the meeting, Kristen Breitweiser conducted a thorough investigation of Kissinger's potential conflicts of interest. Probably much to the chagrin of some of the people in the room, Lori asked some very pointed questions. Would you have any Saudi American clients that you would like to tell us about? And he was very uncomfortable, kind of twisting and turning on the couch. And then she asked whether he had any clients by the name of bin Laden. And he just about fell off his couch. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger stepped down from the position Friday. We thought the meeting went well. So, as you just heard, Kissinger refused to reveal his list of clients, <coughs> Bin Laden, <coughs> and uh, they moved to appoint uh, Thomas Keene, the head of the chairman of the commission. Um, Thomas Keene uh, was the public face of the commission, but perhaps the most important position in the commission itself was the commission director position, which really was responsible for mandating the scope of the investigation itself um, in the preface to the commission. Uh, the commissioners thank um, the commission director's staff for putting together all their research so that they didn't have to, uh, to do any of the grunt work. So this was an extremely important position and was headed by another um, biased source, uh, Philip Zillico, who was on the President's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board, um, was on the President's um, transition team for the Bush administration moving into the White House. Um, and according to James Mann, he also wrote Bush's preemptive war doctrine, which was used to justify the war on Iraq. So, um, again, an extremely biased source with deep ties to the administration heading the investigation. Um, all of these things combined served to make the, the commission itself um, obviously unable to implicate any government officials for any wrongdoing, and in the end, the report um, did not lay any blame. No one was reprimanded by the report, um, and the report tended to blame a failure of imagination for the attacks of September 11th. Um, again, as I say, the, flaw the, the commission report is deeply flawed, but we'll get into the top five reasons to reopen the 9-11 investigation in a minute. First, I just want to go over the other uh, official government reports. Um, FEMA's 2002 Building Performance Study um, was supposedly the first um, government agency report to look into the, uh, the reasons that the Twin Towers fell. And uh, again, a deeply, deeply flawed report in that... Uh, it was researched by a team of volunteers from the American Society of Civil Engineers, but uh, even before the report came out uh, in 2002, even in December 2001, there were um, huge questions uh, that appeared in the mainstream media over the investigation. Um, the New York Times ran an article on Christmas Day 2001, which was entitled The Nation Challenged the Towers, Experts Urging Broader Inquiry in Towers Fall. And uh, it reads in part, uh, quote, experts critical of the current effort, including some of the people who are actually conducting it, cite the lack of meaningful financial support and poor coordination with the agencies cleaning up the disaster site. 
They point out that the current team of 20 or so investigators has no subpoena power and little staff support, and has even been unable to obtain basic information like detailed blueprints of the buildings that collapsed. This is almost the dream team of engineers in the country working on this, and our hands are tied, said one team member who asked not to be identified. Members have been threatened with dismissal for speaking to the press. FEMA is controlling everything, the team member said. It sounds funny, but just give us the money and let us do it and get the politics out of it. A spokesman for FEMA, John Chwartaki, said the agency's primary mission was to help victims, emergency workers, and to speed the city's recovery, and added, we are not an investigative agency. End quote. So you have this story basically admitting that uh, FEMA was not interested in in getting to the facts, um, not an investigative agency blocking members of the team from talking to the press. You have um, people uh, from the team off the record telling reporters that uh, FEMA was controlling everything. Um, and of course, as a result of, of the management from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, uh, the report itself, again, came out to be flawed. And again, more on the specific flaws later on. But finally, let's just pass on to the uh, final report on the collapse of the World Trade Center Towers, um, issued by NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, which released a 10,000-page document um, explaining the collapse of the towers. Um, again, deeply flawed. And again, please don't take my word for that. Um, I exhort you to go to my website to read the request for correction filed with NIST by some scientists, researchers, and 9-11 family members. Um, it was signed on April 14, 2007 by people like Bill Doyle, who's the head of the largest victims' family group. Um, you have physicist Stephen Jones. Um, you have Kevin Ryan, who was fired from Underwriters Labs, which was the company that underwrote the steel used in the construction of the World Trade Center towers. Um, he went on the record saying that he, he said that the Underwriter Labs uh, research into the collapse of the towers showed that the collapse was pretty much impossible. Um, of course, Underwriters Labs didn't report that, and the NIST report didn't reflect that finding. Um, so he was actually fired from Underwriters Labs for having spoken out about that. Um, again, a deeply troubled report, and I urge you to read the request for correction so you can see their version of what was wrong with the report. But let's let's move along. I want to look into the top five reasons that we should reopen the 9-11 investigation. And of course, this is an arbitrary list. It could have been much, much longer, much more detailed, but time limitations, these are the top five reasons. And if you have no other time, and if you're not interested in this, I urge you to do just one thing, and that is go to WTC7.net and watch the videos of the collapse of World Trade Center Building 7. World Trade Center 7 was a 47-story steel-framed office tower in Manhattan in the World Trade Center complex that took up a city block. It would have dwarfed most uh, office towers in most cities around the country. Um, just happened to be next to the two two of the tallest towers in the in the world, so it didn't look so big in comparison. But it was a huge, a mammoth building. Um, at 5:20 p.m. on September 11th, uh, World Trade Center Building Seven collapsed uh, directly into its own footprint in under seven seconds, which is about gravitational freefall speed. That means if you dropped a tennis ball from the top of the the office tower, it would have hit the 
the ground in about six, a little over six seconds. Uh, when you watch this collapse, it takes about six and a half seconds. Um, again, don't take my word for it, but uh, you might want to take uh, NIST's word for it, for example. They've been investigating the collapse of this building for five and a half years now, and they still have not released their official final report on this collapse. But uh, their latest report, which was issued in December last year, um, basically retracted the uh, several of the theories that they had advanced before for the collapse of this building and said that the fire-related collapse had a low probability of occurrence and explosives may have been used. Um, this is um, an explosive story, I guess, um, pun intended. Um, of course, controlled demolitions take weeks to set up, and they take um, teams of engineers and uh, specialists um, to set up, so it could not possibly have been done on the day of September 11th. Again, don't take my word for that. Please watch uh, a video on Google Video called The Smoking Gun of 9-11. And uh, in that video, you'll see an interview with a controlled demolition specialist from the Netherlands who watched the collapse of the building, um, determined that it was controlled demolition, and then is shocked to find that it actually took place on September 11th. Um, just to put this collapse into perspective, this building had been... Uh, burning a couple of pockets of isolated fires on a couple of floors. There's video that just came out recently of the fires in the building before the collapse. Um, really, just standard office fire. It's not uh, not a huge fire. Um, and this building just spontaneously collapsed into itself completely. Um, this is an extreme anomaly. Um, there's still no official explanation of what happened. Um... Although if you go on Google Video again, you can find video of um, BBC News, which reported that the building had collapsed at 4.50 p.m. on that day, um, although it didn't collapse for another 30 minutes. Um, They're literally reporting that the building had collapsed, and you can actually see the building standing in the background behind the reporter. BBC admits it's not a blue screen, it was an actual window. Um, they admit the timing of the tapes. Um... They deny that to comment on the tapes because BBC, in their official announcement, said uh, they had happened to have lost all of their archives from 9-11, um, although they're mandated to keep at least three copies of... Uh, uh, because it's a run by the British government, obviously. It's an arm extension of the British government. They're mandated to keep archives, um, three copies of their um, broadcasts on file, but uh, they say they've lost all of their archives from 9-11 quite conveniently, so they, they can't comment on these tapes um, or on the source of the, sto uh, the story that the building had collapsed before it had collapsed. This is significant because before September 11th, of course, no steel framed, modern steel-framed office tower had ever collapsed due to fire. So um, really, no one could have predicted the collapse of this building, um, and yet somehow they did. Um, we need to get to the bottom of the World Trade Center 7 story before any other story. And interestingly enough, what did the 9-11 Commission have to say about World Trade Center Building 7? Absolutely nothing. They did not even include the collapse of this 47-story steel-framed office tower in their report as if it wasn't even worth mentioning. And, uh, by the way, just as a side note, the tenants in this building, the FBI, the CIA, the Secret Service, the Mayor's Office of Emergency Management, you know, no one no one who would possibly be implicated in any of this anyway. 
Moving right along, we have uh, reason number two to reopen the investigation into 9-11. Uh, BBC report from the 23rd of September 2001, headline, Hijack Suspects Alive and Well. Uh, in this report, the BBC um, uh, tells its readers that they, uh, reporters had managed to track down and interview three of the 19 hijackers, and there were suspicions about one of the other hijackers. In the report, they quote FBI Director Robert Mueller, who acknowledged, quote, that the identity of several of the suicide hijackers is in doubt, end quote. Um, this report was never retracted, but um, on the FBI's website today, you can go and look, and all four are still up and listed as the hijackers on the flights with the same photographs that have been up since, um, since the attacks themselves. Um, all four were also listed as the hijackers in the 9-11 Commission's final report, um, despite, again, this BBC report never retracted that the hijackers, uh, four of the hijackers are alive and well. Uh, even if you believe that Al-Qaeda somehow stole the identities of these men and used their fake uh, passports or fake identities to uh, screen their agents as they prepared for the attack... How come this is not acknowledged by any of the investigations? How come uh, there is no indication given that these identities may be in question, even though the FBI director himself admitted that they were in question? Um, again, a gaping hole in the story. Um, these men have been interviewed, um, but they're still listed as the hijackers. So even the people who were on board the flights are still in doubt, and yet that was not even covered by the 9-11 Commission yet again. Reason number three to reopen the investigation. Uh, Washington Post to report from September 16th, the Newsweek report from September 15th that reported that as many as five of the hijackers were trained at U.S. military bases. Uh, the Newsweek uh, article was headlined, Alleged Hijackers May Have Trained at U.S. Bases. And it read in part, quote, U.S. military sources have given the FBI information that suggests five of the alleged hijackers of the planes that were used in Tuesday's terror attacks received training at secure U.S. military installations in the 1990s. Um, again, major story, um, but again, reported briefly in the mainstream media and then never followed up. Even though um, one of the uh, U.S. bases implicated in those stories, the Defense Language Institute, had a vice chancellor um, by the name of Stephen Butler who went on the record um, shortly after the attacks, he wrote a letter to the editor to the Monte Monterey County Herald saying that um, Bush knew about the attacks um, beforehand, and um, he was suspended from duty for making those statements to the press, of course, because it's America, land of the free. Um, so we have the vice chancellor of one of the schools stating that Bush knew, um, and the hijackers having trained at that school, or at least one of them, Saeed al-Gamdi, having trained at that school. Um, there was a vaguely worded issue of denial later on from the Pentagon saying that uh, some of the data of some of the people from these reports didn't quite match, and therefore the reports were not, um, not worthy of being followed up. And the mainstream media just took that for its word, even though the Pentagon refused to release any of the information that they said to disprove these claims. So absolutely no way to follow up on it or investigate it, which is perhaps why the 9-11 Commission didn't investigate that story. 
The number four reason to reopen the investigation into 9-11, a report that broke in the Times of India from October 2001. It was picked up by the Wall Street Journal in October 10th, 2001, uh, under the headline, Our Friends the Pakistanis. Um, Mahmoud Ahmed, who was the chief of ISI, which is the Pakistani Intelligence Service, wired $100,000 to the lead hijacker of the 9-11 attacks, Mohammed Atta. Um, so this makes him one of the key financiers of the 9-11 attacks. Um, this story broke in October 2001, um, shortly after he was uh, he stepped down or was fired from the ISI chief position um, for having been implicated in this wiring of money. Um, again, briefly picked up by the mainstream media, not really uh, followed up, except there was a one report from the uh, Washington Post um, that on 9-11, uh, Mahmoud Ahmed was actually in the United States. Um, in fact, not only in the United States, he was in Washington. And in fact, not only in Washington, he was meeting with Porter Goss and Bob Graham, the chairman of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, respectively, the very men who would later be tasked with leading the congressional inquiry into 9-11. Again, massive story, massive uh, information there, and not followed up on and not really commented on. Um, Actually, on this issue, the 9-11 Commission did have something to say. The Commission reports official verdict on the financing of the plots ran thusly, quote, To date, the U.S. government has not been able to determine the origin of the money used for the 9-11 attacks. Ultimately, the question is of little practical significance. End quote. Indeed, yeah, little practical significance. Well, the obviously appalling nature of that bald-faced lie leads into the fifth reason we need to reopen the investigation into 9-11, the government foreknowledge of the attacks, um, one of which was um, on September 10th, 2001, the Department of Defense issued a press release announcing a new war. Um, a war on a shadowy target that didn't operate like any state, and a war that would be protracted and difficult to fight, a new kind of war for the 21st century. Were they talking about the war on terror the, a day in advance? No. They were talking about the war on bureaucracy. Why were they talking about the war on bureaucracy? Well, in this press release, which again, you please go read it on my website, the Pentagon admits that they had lost 23 trillion dollars. 2.3 trillion dollars. That's trillion with a T. Um, uh, just a staggering, unbelievable amount of money, equivalent to the annual budget of the United States of America. Um, just lost from the Pentagon's books, most of that coming in the fiscal 2000-2001 years. Um, again, unbelievable. Probably would have been the scandal of the entire administration if that report had been released on any other day in history, except it just was conveniently released on the day before 9-11, and the media became a little bit preoccupied with other events. So September 10th, 2001, Pentagon blithely admits that uh, they had lost $2.3 trillion. Um, To this day, um, none of that money was actually um, recovered. In fact, the $2.3 trillion figure is out of date. It's probably gone up by now. And um, Cynthia McKinney, um, when trying to uh, press Donald Rumsfeld for details of the investigation into that $2.3 trillion in later years, was told by Rumsfeld he's uh, not looking into it and he's not going to answer questions about it. Yeah, because $2.3 trillion is apparently not important. Um, yeah, just missing. 
just gone. Um, just another piece of that puzzle. Um, one of the offices that was blown up by the quote-unquote plane that hit the Pentagon on 9-11 was the budget analyst office, the very office that was tasked with this war on bureaucracy to find the $2.3 trillion. But clearly just a coincidence, right? Um, more uh, more instances of government foreknowledge of the attacks. Um, we have a Guardian article from November 1st, 2001, with the headline, CIA agent alleged to have met bin Laden in July. Um, in this report, um, it claimed that uh, bin Laden had visited the American hospital in Dubai for treatment in the urology department in July of 2001. And while he was there, he was visited by two CIA agents, um, one of whom had bragged about his contact with bin Laden and was promptly sent back to Washington. Um, again, this report appeared, appeared briefly but was not followed up on and not investigated. Uh, on the 1st of June 2001, the Department of Defense um, guidelines specifically dealing with hijacked aircraft and their shootdown were completely changed so that any shootdown required the approval of the Secretary of Defense. Um, again, about uh, about eight weeks, ten weeks before the attacks themselves, the very guidelines dealing with what would happen on that day were revised for um, no explained reason, but revised in, a, in an extremely unusual way, so that the approval had to go actually to Donald Rumsfeld instead of to the uh, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, for example. Uh, in the week leading up to September 11th, um, there was a huge spike spike in put options uh, in stocks of companies affected by the attacks. Um, as we all learnt in the weeks after the attacks, put options are basically a bet that a company is going, the company's stock is going to go down in the coming days or weeks. And shortly before September 11th, um, huge spikes in companies like United Airlines, American Airlines, Morgan Stanley, who had 20 flo uh, floors and World Trade Center. According to ABC News, uh, an investigation was launched by the Treasury Department, the Security Exchange Commission, and the Chicago Exchange. But to this date, no conclusion uh, has been revealed, um, has been delivered regarding those investigations. Um, again, millions of dollars um, stood to be gained off of those attacks, but um, the investigation has never been officially concluded, although um, there have been reports that it came out that it led to an ex-CIA uh, director named Buzzy Krongard, who was implicated with one of the companies that stood to um, benefit from those put options. But again, that was not followed up on, and the 9-11 Commission report, uh, as we remember, said that the financing of the attacks were of no great um, importance. Um, more evidence of government foreknowledge. Uh, on July 26, 2001, CBC, CBS News reported that Attorney General Ashcroft was advised to use chartered aircraft for the duration of his term because of an FBI threat assessment. Um, again, this was highly unusual for the Attorney General at the time. Um, the previous Attorney General had used um, regular commercial aircraft, but Ashcroft, since, uh, uh, since early 2001, had been flying only chartered aircraft. Um, and no one involved with the story, including the FBI, of course, would divulge any information about the threat assessment. Again, this coming a couple of months before the attacks, if they had divulged any information about that threat, the nature of that threat, perhaps um, the people who actually boarded those flights on the morning of 9-11 would have had reason to pause and reconsider those flights. But as it was, they did not get the same level of treatment as the Attorney General, so they went on the flights and died. 
Um, the San Francisco Chronicle also reported on September 12th that Mayor Willie Brown of San Francisco had received a warning not to fly on the morning of September 11th. Again, the nature of the threat and where the threat assessment came from was not divulged in that story, and uh, Willie Brown does not talk about that story anymore. Um, again, 9-11 Commission failed to address these reports. Um, moving right along, more evidence of government foreknowledge. Webster Tarpley on a speech in Seattle from April 2006, which is available online on Google Video. Again, please watch that video. It is extremely important in the whole 9-11 story. But in his speech, he outlined no less than 15 drills um, being conducted by government and military agencies on the morning of 9-11, including several taking place uh, at NORAD, like Amalgam Virgo, Vigilant Guardian, Northern Guardian, Vigilant Warrior, Northern Vigilance, Amalgam Warrior, Global Guardian. All of these drills, at, um, at least the NORAD drills, specifically designed to uh, move interceptor fighter craft, fight, fighters away from the northeastern United States, um, so that there were extremely few um, fighter interceptors on the morning of 9-11 in the affected areas. Also, um, some of these drills um, injected uh, fake uh, blips onto the radar screens of um, at NORAD, so that at one point as many as 27 hijacked jets were reported uh, by NORAD. Because of the fake blips appearing on their screens, um, you have one of the uh, NORAD operators, uh, a tape of which you can hear on Vanity Fair, again, get the link from my website, saying that uh, he had never heard so much, uh, he had never seen so much real-world activity during a drill. Um, massive confusion about what was going on that morning obviously affected the attacks. Um, there was a FEMA, FEMA bioterror drill called Tripod 2 being conducted in New York, um, on September, I believe it was scheduled to begin on September 12th, 2001. So um, on the morning of September 11th, conveniently, the um, J Mayor Giuliani's Office of Emergency Management had been moved out of World Trade Center Building 7, which, as we remember, collapsed spontaneously into its own footprint later on in the day. Um, it, the Office of Emergency Management was moved out of World Trade Center 7 and to the end of the pier, where he would operate on the morning of 9-11. Um, and probably um, one of the most interesting drills, the National Reconnaissance Office was running drills that morning of uh, hijacked jets crashing into government buildings. But again, just a coincidence. And when Condi Rice uh, went up later and said that nobody could have imagined jets flying into buildings, well, hmm, we'll just have to reserve judgment on that one. Um, of course, there were also drills leading up to 9-11, including previous NORAD drills, which had dealt specifically with hijacked jets being slammed into the World Trade Center, and a Pentagon drill in August 2001, which dealt with evacuations in the event that a plane hit the building. Um, of course, no one could have imagined these attacks, except for the people who were involved in the drills that were going on on the same day that actually had those attacks taking place. Um, still more government foreknowledge. Um, you have whistleblowers like Sybil Edmond, the FBI translator, who says that some of the documents pertaining to the attack, um, which were known to the FBI pre-9-11, were intentionally not investigated. You have Harry Samet, who was investigating Zacharias Massawi, known as the 20th hijacker. Um, he warned his superiors more than 70 times that there was an Al-Qaeda operative interested in plane hijackings. Uh, he said his investigation was hampered by FBI officials, and he accused them of criminal negligence. 
Um, Robert Wright, um, an FBI agent, gave a press conference on C-SPAN, crying tears streaming down his face, saying he'd be arrested if he revealed what he knew. All he could say was that the Bushes vacation with the Bin Ladens. You have Colleen Rowley, an FBI agent in the Minneapolis office, who said that her investigation into Misawi was blocked even after 9-11. Her supervisor is stating that the actual 9-11 attacks, which she had um, warned them about, um, were just coincidental. That just coincidentally played out so that um, investigating Musawi's, uh, getting a warrant to search for Musawi's computer, for example, wouldn't be appropriate, even after the attacks of 9-11. Or you have the Phoenix memo written the year before the attacks, again, an FBI agent. Um, a year before the attacks called for an investigation into all Middle Eastern men in flight training schools across the U.S., and that report was summarily ignored. Um... We'll have to stop there. Again, we're running out of time. Um, already gone over time. I can't even get into some of the other extremely important stories. You have um, FEMA reports, um, Appendix C, which deals with the sulfidation of the metal from um, that uh, the World Trade Center collapse, um, something the New York Times called the deep mystery of the building's collapse, and which is um, really only explainable by the... Uh, by the appearance of thermate, which is a high-temperature accelerant, which was not investigated in the FEMA report, even though it's uh, required um, by uh, federal law to look for high-temperature accelerants like thermate, specifically mentioned. Um, They did not look for the presence of that. Um, Again, I could get into the way that the steel was disposed of from the World Trade Center site. Um, A massive crime scene completely and utterly... uh, torn apart and shipped off to the landfills where they separated um, human remains from the steel, shipped the steel off to China and India to be melted down literally within weeks of the uh, attacks before any investigation could be properly uh, done. And uh, later came out that some of the human remains uh, from that, which had ended up in the Fresh Kills landfill, um, again, I'm not making that name up, that's what it's actually called, Um, some of the human remains from that attack... um, firemen, uh, people who died in the building's collapse, have ended up in potholes and being used to pave the streets because of the uh, the way in which the only thing they were really concentrating on during the cleanup was getting that steel. Um, you have Able Danger, which was uh, a military intelligence program which was tasked with um, keeping track of Al-Qaeda around the globe, which had identified Muhammad Atta before the attacks. Um, Uh, Again, you have uh, Congressman Kurt Weldon looking into this, saying that there's something really mysterious and wondering why the 9-11 Commission refused to write anything about it in their report, even though they were aware of the existence of this program. You have uh, MTI, the Mineta Transportation Institute, releasing a report uh, called Saving Cities Lifelines about... uh, what was done on the day of the attacks and how they were handled by emergency officials. Uh, One paragraph of this report refers to a truck that was stopped near the World Trade Center complex on the morning of 9-11, near uh, near Ground Zero itself. It was stopped by the police because it was a bit suspicious because it had a mural painted on it of a, a jet flying into the World Trade Center. They stopped the, the, the car. There were six men of Middle Eastern descent in the car. They detained those men and looked through the van, suspecting that it had bombs inside it. They did not find any bombs. They found that it was just a, an innocent rented delivery truck. They let it go. 
This is briefly mentioned in that report as if it was of no great significance that six men of Middle Eastern descent had just happened to have rented a truck for delivery purposes and painted a mural of an attack that had literally just taken place an hour or two before a few blocks away on the side of the truck. Again, briefly mentioned, the evidence is there, never looked into. Um, you've got Executive Order 1999-WF-213589. Google it. You'll find information about this executive order signed off on by Bill Clinton, re, uh, reauthorized by George Bush. When George Bush reauthorized it, uh, John O'Neill, the head of counterterrorism at the FBI and the man charged with finding uh, and tracking down al-Qaeda within the U.S., said that this tied his hands because it specifically prevented him from looking into bin Laden's connections to terror inside the United States specifically prevented and hampered his investigation. He resigned in April 2001 because of this executive order and took a job a few months later as head of security at the World Trade Center complex. His first day on the job, 9-11. He died in the collapse of the buildings. Once you realize there are serious problems with the official conspiracy theory of 9-11, it's time to start researching things for yourself turn off the mainstream news. These are the same people who are telling you that Britney Spears shaving her head or the father of Anna Nicole Smith's baby are important issues in the world. Find a real news source. Go to Infowars.com. Go to PrisonPlanet.com. Find a local 9-11 truth source like Calgary911truth.org. Get involved. If you think the information in this podcast is important, burn a copy and give it to your friends, your family, strangers on the street. Get the word out. It's only when we make this an issue that the media will start covering this as an issue. It is a feedback loop. And on that note, thank you for joining me for the inaugural edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, and I'll be back with you next week for Episode 2, World War Three Starts in Iran. Just say